the Lord will help me to, I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight. Uh, he ain't never helped me to just preach a few moments, but I'm going to try it again this evening out of Exodus chapter number 32. And let's begin reading at verse number 30. Exodus chapter number 32 and verse number 30. The Word of God says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. Let's read verse 32 once more. The Word of God says, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this time and the privilege it is to gather in your house. Lord, you've kept us safe today. You've watched over us and you've gathered and assembled us here for the preaching of your word. Now, I pray, Father, that you would anoint me. Lord, that you'd empower me for the preaching of your precious Bible. And God, I pray that you'd anoint the ears of those that'll hear. And Lord, that you'd do in all of us a work that would glorify your Son. Lord, we love you tonight. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, you'll see something unusual in verse number 32 of Exodus chapter number 32. Uh, the context is the children of Israel have sinned. They've made the golden calf. Uh, the Levites, under Moses' direction, have taken and slain uh, many of the children of Israel, about 3,000. And uh, God's judgment has been placed upon the nation of Israel. Moses tells them, I'm going to go up and I'm going to pray. I'm going to make intercession for you and see if God will spare us any further judgment and any further plague. But there's an unusual thing found in verse number 32. In fact, to my knowledge, I don't know of a single place in the Bible where this is recorded in such a way. As Moses is praying, you'll see it says this, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and what follows it? Somebody tell me. A dash, a hyphen. Some said nothing. This is an unusual grammatical expression that is found it is almost an implicit thing in the text. As Moses is praying, he literally hesitates, pauses, and refrains from finishing his statement. Now, I believe my Bible's written on purpose. Amen? I don't believe it's there by accident. Now, I believe God is trying to convey something to us in verse number 32. You say, well, I thought it was Moses that said it. Yes, it's Moses that said it, but it's the Lord that's the author. And he could, have, uh, he could have left anything out of the Bible he had chose to, and he could have included anything that he chose to. And in this one unusual instance in your Bible, we find that words are not enough to express what's going on in Moses' heart. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but I find times when I'm praying, and I want to be very clear in the way that I say this, because I, I'm not saying that I need to pray in another tongue or in an unknown tongue or anything of that manner. But I find times in the prayer closet when it just seems like my words are not enough. 
when it seems as though the utterings and mutterings of my heart cannot be placed into words that I could express in a way that would be befitting what I'm trying to say. You've heard people say at times, you've probably never heard me say this, but you've heard other people say, I'm at a loss for words. You ever heard someone say that? I'm at a loss for words. In other words, there's something within me that I can identify, but I cannot articulate. There's something I would choose to express, but I cannot find the means and the wherewithal to do so. Well, you'll find this is not quite as uncommon as some folks would like us to think. Because as you look in the Word of God, the Bible tells us that there's actually a help for you and I in situations like this. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter number 8, verses 26 and 27. Paul writing says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. How many of you have infirmities? Amen. And I don't just mean sickness, I don't just mean bodily weakness, but I mean the weakness of the flesh, the weakness of the will, the weakness of our nature. Paul says the Spirit helpeth those things. He says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, every portion of Scripture is given uh, and is profitable for doctrine. Amen? But there are certain verses that we read, and they have so much doctrine just per square inch that it's hard really to grasp everything that's being said there. When you think about the magnitude of this verse, there are a lot of doctrines we could touch on. We could touch on the inability of the sin-fallen flesh. Let me say that people say a lot of times, well, you know, you've got it within you. Well, you don't have it within you. It is not within us. It is not within our natures uh, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. not within our nature to be what we ought to be. It's not within our nature to do the right thing. What you're seeing when you turn on the TV is you're seeing humanity's nature on display. Uh, That's what decided things over the past week, and not just with the gay marriage uh, ban being lifted, but with several legislative uh, milestones in judicial activism taking place. That's human nature taking place. That's what that is. Human nature is lawless. Amen? It's lawless. It won't be bound. It chooses not to. That's why there had to be a law uh, to put some constraints upon humanity and human nature and show us our depravity. The law was the spotlight and searchlight that revealed to mankind just how wicked he truly is. We could look at this verse and we could uh, learn about the intercession of the Spirit just as a cold mechanical doctrine. It is a blessing to know that the Spirit of God makes intercession for us. When we think of our intercessor, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you know that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, there's an intercessor even between Him and us. And that's the Spirit of God that indwells us. We could talk about the will of God and God's sovereign knowledge concerning that will in our lives and in our hearts. The Bible says that he that that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. But tonight I want to just take three instances from this verse. And I want to show you three times when I find in my life that often words are not enough. And I want to encourage you, and inasmuch I want to encourage me as well, that in these moments when our prayers fail, the Spirit of God does not fail. When our words are not enough, the words He has are enough. Now, it's important to note in this verse that it's not talking about some kind of unknown tongue that you and I would speak in, because the Bible says these are groanings which cannot be uttered. 
This is a language that is not a heavenly language that inhabits an earthly vessel. But this is the wisdom from above that's pure and heavenly. The wisdom of a not only a sovereign Father, but a sovereign Spirit that has the capability to take that which is in our hearts and that which is in our souls and make it fit for the ears of a thrice holy God. As Moses prays this prayer, I see three things. And I'm going to try to be brief tonight and give them to you very quickly. As the nation of Israel is sort of licking its wounds from the judgment of God, they've sinned, they've done wrong, they've messed up. I don't know about you, but I mess up sometimes. I sin and I do wrong, so I kind of know how they must have felt. And God has had to judge them. Moses goes expressly with the purpose of interceding for them. But he runs out of words before he can ask forgiveness in a way that he's comfortable with. I'd say, number one, that the Spirit intercedes when the inexcusable offends in our life. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever felt silly asking forgiveness? I know I have. Maybe there's some sin, some besetting iniquity that has taken root in your life or taken root in my life. And we've been to the throne room a thousand times. We've been to the altar a million times. We've cried a hundred thousand tears. We've asked forgiveness more times than we can count. But there we find ourselves again. We've messed up. We've done something wrong. We've slipped up. We've sinned and offended God. And we have a choice to make at that point. Are we either going to wallow in that sin or are we going to take it before the throne room again? I don't know about you, but I'll go ahead and share you how my life is and how my heart is. I, I don't know why, but I sort of think of my Christian walk like a chalkboard sometimes. And when I've sinned, I've made a mark on it. I messed up. And there's an inclination. I'm, uh, the Bible says to confess your faults one to another. Not your sins, but your faults. And this is a fault of mine as your pastor. Sometimes when I've sinned, I have a tendency to think, well, I, I know I'm not ready to get right and do right, so I'll just not ask forgiveness. Now, that's me. I don't know if that's you, but that's me. I know I'm going to continue to mess up, so I don't even want to try to get it right. I think sometimes what contributes to that is a feeling of insecurity and incapability as we approach that high and holy throne room once again to ask God's forgiveness. But can I encourage you in two things? Number one, this. God never forgave you because of how sorry you were. God forgave you because of grace. I'm not saying you don't have to be sorry for your sin. God's smart enough to know whether you're sincere or not. But He didn't forgive you because you cried a thousand tears. He didn't forgive you because you were really sorry. And if you made a promise you'd never do it again, you better believe He didn't forgive you for that promise because He knows you well enough and oftentimes better than we ourselves know ourselves to know that we probably can't make good on that promise. You know, we do a lot better if when we've messed up we just address with that failure and not try to make a bunch of promises to God that we cannot keep, but rather to ask forgiveness for that sin, for that day, for that mistake, and then face tomorrow afresh and anew. I've found every promise I've ever made, God, for the most part, I've broken at some point or another. And so it encourages me to know that God doesn't forgive me because of how sorry I am. And He doesn't forgive me because I ask the right way. He doesn't. There's no magic formula. I, I know we have sort of uh, uh, some words that we like to use in prayers. And uh, it's interesting that when you hear people pray, there's certain things, and almost everybody you'll hear them pray those things. We were talking in Senior Saints back a, a couple weeks ago about praying in Jesus' name and, and what exactly that means. 
Sometimes I fear that we consider that phrase in Jesus' name as though it's some sort of magical uh, incantation that we can invoke when we want to seek forgiveness. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray with His will as your will, with what He would desire uh, taking place for what you would desire. But understand that when you ask forgiveness, it's not because you say it the right way. It's not because you say it in such beautiful words. It's not because you promise you're never going to do it again. God forgives you because of His grace. That's the only reason He forgives you. He forgives you because of the payment that Christ made at Calvary. But then, let me go a step further and say this, that oftentimes I feel sometimes disrespectful as I ask forgiveness for my sin. I do. I know I could never hate sin the way God hates sin. Uh, one of the main life goals for every Christian ought to be to learn how to hate sin. Part of the mess that we're in today is because we don't hate sin. It's uncomfortable to us if we're born again. We're convicted by it, but we just don't hate it. And that's part of the reason we're so tolerant of it is because we don't hate sin the way that we ought to hate sin. But let me say that no matter how much we hate sin, we'll never hate it the way God hates it. No matter how many times we ask forgiveness, we'll never ask it in the right way because there is no right way. You see, sin is an inexcusable thing. It's an inexcusable thing. God's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There's not a single sin that you ever commit that you couldn't help committing. Every time that you sin, it's an act of the will. Whether it's a sin of commission or omission, it's an act of the will. And we have a choice in the matter. Now, I'm telling you some things that will help you in your spiritual walk if you'll really tune in with me for just a few moments. It'd do you a lot better to just go ahead and call it what it is, best as you know how, call it by the ugliest name you know how to call it, make no excuses for it, and ask God's forgiveness of it. It won't change whether He'll forgive you or not the way that you say it, but it might change whether you commit it the next time in the way that you say it. We have a tendency of wanting to paint things with a real beautiful color and a real gorgeous palette. But sin is sin. No matter what we call it, sin is sin. Sin looks the same way from God's point of view. No matter what we call it, no matter how we dress it up, no matter how we try to label it, a particular sin looks the same way through God's eyes no matter how we treat it. And so we might as well go ahead and just call it as ugly as we can because we'll never see it as ugly as God sees it. What do you say when you've sinned? What can you say when you've sinned? Moses comes before God and he says, Lord, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and he doesn't even know how to finish it, because I think, and you allow me to just look into the pathos of this man of God for just a brief moment, I think he knew he had no business there asking. They had known what they had done. They had committed that sin willfully, deliberately, consciously. And I think maybe it just paused him for a moment when he thought about what he was really asking God. You know, when you ask God to forgive sin, you're asking a thrice holy God to dismiss and ignore everything that is pertinent and real and immutable to His nature. He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God, who cannot lie, the Word of God tells us, in the which it was impossible for God to lie, and we go before Him and say, Lord, go back on this Word that You've spoken and forgive me of my sin. 
Well, the truth is, we know God's not going back on His Word. We know through the cross of Calvary that He can be both just and the justifier of them which come unto Him. But understand that there's no words we could express that make our sin any more beautiful or any less ugly in the eyes of God. And so we trust the Spirit of God to make intercession for us. He has the capability of expressing to God the contrition of our heart in a way that words have no ability to. Words have a very interesting... If you ever study words, what do they call it? Philology, I guess. When you study words and how languages come together and you just see the insufficiency of any language to convey the deeper pains of the human soul, then you begin to realize that words will never be enough without the Spirit of God. It doesn't matter how beautiful it may sound. It doesn't matter how contrite it may ring. Without the intercession of the Spirit of God, our prayers would never be fit for the ears of God. But thankfully, if you've been born again, that Spirit of God indwells you. And it's through that Spirit of God that we cry, Abba, Father. Through that Spirit of God that we have a relationship to the throne room of grace and a place in which we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And when the inexcusable offends, the Spirit of God must make up the difference. Well, notice a second thing tonight. I'd say when the inexcusable offends, but I would say when the unsolvable oppresses us, we often don't know what to pray. You know, as Moses makes this prayer before the Lord, I don't want it to be lost on you how the Lord responds. Look at verse 33. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. I think part of the reason that Moses stopped in his prayer was because he realized how awful the children of Israel's sin was. But I think part of the reason he stopped in his prayer is because he realized how impossible it was that God should just simply forgive their sin. He's basically saying this, Lord, if you'll forgive their sin, then forgive it. And if you won't, then blot me out. But that doesn't affect God one bit. God looks at Moses and says, Moses, him that sinneth, him will I blot out of my book. It didn't affect God one bit. Now, I understand this issue of sin and forgiveness. Thankfully, it was settled at Calvary. Amen? But part of the reason that Moses stopped short is because he has an unsolvable problem in front of him. And he doesn't know how he should pray and how he should address it. You know, I don't know about you, but one of the most fearful things, I think, to any human being is the prospect of the future. The future. As you go on the news websites and uh, if you read blogs or if anything, or if you watch the news, and you know, the thing that people are really scared of is the unknown. The unknown. Uh, we probably ought to be more scared of the judgment of God than we should be of our churches being shut down. Churches always thrived in times of persecution. Always. So we probably ought to be more scared of the judgment of God. But the thing that it seems everyone is talking about is they say, now we don't know what this is going to mean for us. The absence of any knowledge of what could take place in the future. A problem that cannot be solved. You know, let me ask you something. How, and you forgive me, I know this may be a little different tonight, but I, I just want to share my heart with you. How do you even pray when you don't know what tomorrow holds? How do you even pray when you don't know what will happen 
in the next 30 minutes. When we leave out of this place tonight, it could be that some of us don't even make it home. We don't know. How do you pray without knowing what's going to take place? What do you ask God for? How do you ask God for protection against things that you don't know what's going to happen? Well, thankfully, there's one that makes up the hedge in those matters. I think it'd be funny probably to look at some of the prayers that we've all prayed. Kind of like a preacher's first sermon. I I was talking to uh, Brother Morgan Sunday night. and We were talking about, you know, preaching our first sermon. And, you know, you've heard preachers tell stories before about their first sermon. And they'll say, you know, I preached five minutes. You ever heard a preacher say that? Preach five minutes. Don't even know what I preached and everything. I told Morgan, my first sermon was an hour and five minutes. Now, that's the truth. See, you think I'm getting worse. I'm really getting better. You just stick with me. We think about the feebleness of our words to convey anything. How do you pray when you've got a problem that can't be solved? I'm sure there's many of you that have faced times in your life when there was no way out, but God made a way. I'm sure many of you, and and I think particularly about physical illness and infirmity, Because there's so many that, I mean, the human body is just such a mystery. Despite all the charts, despite all the medical equipment, despite all the textbooks, there's still on a daily basis things that happen with the human body that nobody can explain except the God of heaven. How do you pray about those things? Well, the truth is you'll never be able to pray correctly about those things. You see, if I can do anything tonight, I want to encourage you to pray I I, I want to try to drive out of you some of that shyness we have at the prayer closet because we're afraid we're not going to do it right. Can I clue you in on something? You're not going to do it right. Neither am I. It's our infirmity. It's our human nature. Our prayers will never be right. But the Spirit of God makes them right. And so when we face problems that can't be solved, bills that there's just not money for and there's no way there can be money for, family members that there can be no reconciliation made with, or maybe lost family members that you think to yourself, how could a way ever be made for them? They're too hard-hearted. Well, I'm here to tell you that though we may not know how to pray, and though our prayers may be unfit for the ears of God, the indwelling Spirit of God is able to take those prayers and make them what they need to be for the throne room. You say, so what does it mean, preacher? It means keep praying. Keep praying, because prayer works. Prayer works because the Spirit of God works. So I think probably when the inexcusable offends is a time when our prayers are not enough, but the Spirit maketh intercession. I think probably when the unsolvable oppresses us is a time when our words are not fit, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession. But then I think probably, and I'll, I'll just say this and close, I think probably when the unthinkable approaches... Those are times when our words are not enough. I've sort of already touched on it, and I'll not dwell long on it. But Moses is praying because he knows that the judgment of God is coming again. It's actually very interesting. If you look back uh, what takes place in verse number uh, 29, the Bible says this, For Moses had said, now this was before he went up, Onto the mountain. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow a blessing, uh, may bestow upon you a blessing this day. 
So, in Moses' meeting with God, God sought to bestow upon them some sort of blessing. But in spite of God's desire and God's will, they had chosen to go their own direction. Still in the midst of God's judgment, they are obstinate. They're going to leave this place and continue in an attitude of rebellion. And for many more years, they're going to walk through the wilderness. God's going to judge them and judge them and judge them and judge them. You know, I, I think about the condition of our country right now. I was talking to someone yesterday, and you know the true scary thing is when God judges our country, not if, but when. When God judges our country. You, you, you just, you tell me something. Now, God judged other nations for pagan temples, didn't He? And when the highest house in the land is painted up, with a symbol of all that is perverse, of all that is unseemly and unnatural and condemned with the Word of God. You know what the Lord said about Capernaum? The Lord said about Capernaum that if the same preaching had taken place in Sodom and Gomorrah as had in Capernaum, that they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, and that it would be worse in the day of judgment on Capernaum than it was on Sodom. Now, that was when there wasn't a completed Bible. That was on the other side of the cross, when there was no resurrection, when there was no indwelling Spirit of God, without 2,000 years of the church behind them. And now here we sit today in the same sin and the same iniquity that God rained hellfire and brimstone down over when God judges our country. You know, the great tragedy is our country will still not turn to Him. They just won't. Now, I, I'm, I've not lost hope for the church. But if I read my Bible right, I don't see great sweeping revivals. I see apostasy before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. That doesn't mean God can't do something in this body. That doesn't mean that, that if, if the country would turn to the Lord, He would not bless them with revival. I'm sure that God would. And I know all the promises of God are true and are, are yea and amen. And I'm not trying to be a pessimist. But I'm merely saying this, that when you read the Word of God, uh, America is not found anywhere in Bible prophecy, and the world's getting worse and worse and worse, and it's happening just how God said it would happen. And when that time comes, we have every reason to think that our country will not turn. Every few years something comes along, and God shakes this world, and mankind just entrenches himself in his iniquity further. We say to ourselves, what's next? Well, anything could be next. How do you pray not knowing what's next? How do you pray not knowing what's about to happen? How do you ask God for protection from things that can't even enter the human mind? Well, the only way is the Spirit of God itself maketh intercession for us. We could never ask God's protection from it. And I think asking God's protection makes a difference, don't you? Otherwise, every time that you say, Lord, keep us safe as we travel, you're a hypocrite, unless you really believe that matters. I believe it matters. When we pray and ask God for safe traveling mercies, I think that matters. I think God hears and I think He answers, and that's why we're sitting here. But how do you ask God for protection from the unknown? How would we ever pray? How would we ever cover every contingency? Well, here's the beautiful truth. Though we don't know what's coming tomorrow, God does know what's coming tomorrow. The Spirit of God, He's just as omniscient as God the Father and God the Son. And so as we pray and ask God's protection over things, we need not worry about having a laundry list of things to covering all the bases. 
But merely as we pray and ask God's protection over the things that we know to pray over, we know that the Spirit of God takes those things and makes them fit for God's ears. You see, the truth is, tonight, as you enter your prayer closet, I hope you do, your words won't be enough tonight, just like they've never been enough, just like they never will be enough. You know, the only time we'll be able to pray right, we won't need prayer anymore. But the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities, and maketh intercessions with groanings that cannot be uttered. So tonight, let me encourage you by saying pray. Pray because it matters. Pray because it changes things. Pray because it's important enough that the Spirit of God occupies Himself with our prayers. Pray, pray, pray. It's our only hope.